Thank you, Nicole, for that. Um, thank you. Uh, welcome, everybody. My name is Alex Madrid. Um, welcome to Coachhead. Welcome to um, Mayors of Disability, joined by DAS Commission of San Francisco to discuss um, housing needs assessment. Um, February 17, 2023. Um, thank you and a proper agenda. Yes, so for the agenda today, um, we have welcome and roll call. Um, and then we have the reading and approval of the agenda. Uh, and then we open it up to general public comment. Uh, and then we go to the co-chair report. Then a report from the mayor's office on disability. Um, and then we have a report from Martha Knutson from the Department of uh, Human, or sorry, the Human Services Agency from <clears throat> uh, Disability and Aging Services, um, a report from the Department of Disability and Aging Services, including updates on the age and disability friendly San Francisco implementation plan and work group, the new online disability resource guide, the Disability Cultural Resource Center, and the Dignity Fund Services and Allocation Plan for the fiscal year 2024 through 2027. And that is being presented by Kelly Dearman. Uh, and then we'll go on a 15 minute break. <clears throat> um, and then we will have um, a presentation from um, the Aging and Disability Affordable House, Housing Needs Assessment um, on the Aging and Disability Affordable Housing Needs Assessment. Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> then we have correspondence. And then we open it up to general public comment again. Um, and then we go to council and commission member comments and announcements. Um, and then finally, we go to adjournment. Thank you. Um, can you please do I all call? Yes. I forgot to do that. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, for the Mayor's Disability Council, we have Alex Madrid. Okay. Orchid Sasuni. Present. Sherry Albers. Present. Denise Senhawks. <laughs> believe she's absent. Um, so Helen Smolinski. Present. Jashawn Lewis-Woods. Absent. Uh, Ananya Tandon-Verma. Absent. All right. And then for the Disability and Aging Commission, we have Martha Knutson. If you could just say present if you're here, that helps 
our um our the folks on the TV know who who's uh, and who's following know who's here today. Uh, Martha is here. Great, and then Janet Spears. Present. Nelson Lum. I looks like absent uh, and Sasha Bittner. Present. Wanda Young. Present. Linda Parker Pennington. Present. And Barbara Sklar. Looks she is absent. Uh, and that concludes roll call. Thank you. Um, thanks for going to the Jada Public Conference. Yes, so we welcome the public's participation uh, during the public comment periods. Um, and at this time, members of the public may address the council and the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council and commission, which are not on today's meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the council and commission for up to three minutes. With respect to today's item specific discussion items, your opportunity to address the council and commission will be afforded at the conclusion of each discussion. And just a reminder that the Brown Act forbids the council and commission from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment. If you would like a response, please provide your contact information by email message to mdc at sfgov.org with the subject MDC comment reply request, or you may call 415-554-6789. Uh, and if you would like to make a comment at this time, um, you may do so by clicking on the three horizontal dots icon and then click on the raise hand icon um, if you're joining our Zoom webinar and you will be recognized when your turn. Um, you can also use the Q&A feature in the Zoom webinar to be recognized or to make a comment. If you wish to be recognized, type into the Q&A box that you want to make a comment and hit send. You can also type your comment into the Q&A box and the clerk will read it for you. If you're joining by phone, you can dial star nine when you want to be recognized and you'll be prompted when it's your turn to make comments. So I do see that at least uh, one member of the public would like to make a comment at this time. Um, so Mike Zog. Let me. Sorry, um, I don't think I have the ability to give to unmute attendees. Um, so if do you need to be promoted to a panelist test? I think okay, now I can. Um, Mike, did you still want to make a public comment? You've been permitted to unmute, if so. 
can move on to the, if there's additional public comment to us. Okay, um, at this time, I don't see anybody else who would like to make a public comment. Thank you for that. Um, now we're uh, moving to um, information item culture report. I'm going to do this um, since the genuine various disability class members had a sent a letter on behalf of the council to Kate Brogan, the director of, of the Taxi and Accessibility Services Division of the MTA as a follow-up to her presentation at the November MDC meeting about e-scooters enforcement. The data can be reviewed at the MDC website. I also would like to- Pardon me, Alex, for the interpreter, can you repeat the last comment before the website? The data can be reviewed at the MTC website. I would like to make sure all are aware that the next MDC meeting will be in, in person in room 400 at City Hall. Public participations and comments would be welcome and the public would be able to attend in person or virtual. Similarly to how the public can participate virtually. That's one point, um, and um, I would ask my question, uh, okay, if any additional things. Um, going forward to information item report from the mayor's Office on the Disability Nicole. Okay, thank you very much, Chair Madrid. I am going to uh, pull up uh, my report to you, which will be abbreviated today since we have a, um, a joint meeting, but I wanted to say a very great welcome to our to everyone and to uh, especially to our commissioners uh, from Disability and Aging Commission. This is our first uh, joint meeting of the Disability and Aging Commission and the Mayor's Disability Council and MOD is very pleased that we have a shared agenda today and hope that this collaboration can be a regular occurrence. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Mayor's Office on Disability 
helps to staff the Mayor's Disability Council and also serves as the overall ADA coordinator for the city, helping to uh, ensure and advise programmatic and architectural access, staff the council, uh, help with the emergency response, and uh, help elevate concerns of the disability community to this council and to others across the city. So towards that end, what I wanted to highlight today in my report are just a few of the legislative updates. And as usual, uh, this report will be posted to the, uh, the Mayor's Disability Council website. Um, soon after this meeting, it will likely be uh, sometime uh, next week as uh, Monday is a holiday for us. There's a couple of uh, announcements that I wanted to make. Um, so first, in light of the end of the San Francisco emergency order and the return of in-person public bodies as of March 1st, I wanted to again emphasize uh, legislation uh, number 221008, which is uh, sponsored by Supervisor Mandelman limiting teleconferencing and remote public comment at meetings of the Board of Supervisors and its committees. If passed, this legislation would discontinue remote public comment by members of the public, except uh, where it's required for people with disabilities to participate in such meetings. This was first heard in the Rules Committee on February 6th with several hours of public comment from people with disabilities and others who opposed the legislation the legislation was then continued to uh, the call of the chair and is expected again at Rules Committee on February 27th. Rules Committee begins at 10 a.m. Of course, anybody participating here uh, following this meeting, any council members, uh, of course, uh, welcome to participate and track that meeting. The Mayor's Office on Disability is charged with advising the work, uh, workable reasonable modification process, as well as other usable access solutions, along with the Department of Technology and the Office of the City Attorney. And we're issuing guidance to the Board of Supervisors as part of this process. And concurrently, the Office of the City Administrator is also working with these partners to end us to issue guidance for public bodies that are not part of this proposed legislation, like the Mayor's Disability Council and others. Specific procedures for how to participate in the March 17, 2023 Mayor's Disability Council meeting where the council will be in person, will be sent through the Mayor's Office on Disability Distribution and posted in the news section of the MOD homepage at sf.gov slash MOD as soon as the information becomes available. You may also call us at any time at 415-554-6789 for an update. The other piece of uh, local legislation I wanted to um, draw your attention to relates to shared spaces, which I have talked about um, before. There is now new legislation related to the permanent program, which takes effect on March, 2023. And the deadline to apply to this new program has passed. I just wanted to note that the new legislation speaking to the permanent program 
does is is currently under consideration at the of the land use committee. However, the provisions do not impact the ability to enforce for disability access violations. However, the council may wish to continue to track the accessibility and enforcement progress of this program as you have in the past. And finally, just a few more things I wanted to make note in terms of state legislation. The mayor's office on disability is still um, involved in uh, in both the California Public Utilities Commission uh, autonomous vehicles permit approval uh, process, working specifically with SFMTA to help advocate for accessibility as part of the California Public Utilities Commission's process. Along with that, we are still in uh, legislation and discussion around the implementation of Senate Bill 1376, which is the Transportation Network Company Access for All Act. Um, those are things that you can continue to follow if you're interested in being involved with autonomous vehicles or the uh, TNC legislation, please do contact us on MOD. And finally, federally, I've, no, I've, I've announced this a couple of times, but I just wanna make sure that folks are aware that still under consideration are uh, rulemakings around new requirements around medical diagnostic equipment, other equipment and furniture, web accessibility, and sidewalks, curb ramps, street crossings, and other pedestrian facilities. If you would like to follow these uh, rulemaking process or provide comments, the best way to connect with that is to go to ada.gov. Um, and on the bottom right, you can sign up for email uh, updates to participate. And um, that is where I'll stop for today. There's more information uh, to share, but please uh, um, do follow us. These, these uh, are posted and sent out to the distribution as well through a, a link. So um, more information to come. And that concludes my report for today. Thank you, Director Bonnie. And now I'm turning this to Mother Kissing. Trevor, can I hear you? No. No. Hi, this is. Uh Vice President uh, Janet Spears, uh, Martha and I said if her, if her uh, mic did not work, I would introduce this item. So I think I got your back, Martha. <laughs> so item number six is a report from the Department of Disability and Aging Services, including updates on the age and disability friendly San Francisco implementation plan and work group, the new online disability resource guide, the Disability Cultural Resource Center, and the Dignity Fund Services and Allocation Plan for FY 2024 to, through 2027. This item will be presented by Kelly Dearman, the San Francisco Department and Disability of Aging Services. So to Kelly. Thank you so much, uh, Commissioner Spears. Uh, it's really my pleasure to be here and I am super happy that we finally have the opportunity to all sit in the same room so I, even though it's virtually, I am going to give this um, 
report, not in the exact order that uh, is written in the agenda, but all of the information uh, will be there. So I think Ravi is gonna run the slides for me, Ravi. I am real quick. Um, is this the host uh, disabled slide share or screen sharing? Can, can someone uh, add me to share my screen? Nicole, I think you're muted. Someone needs to make Ravi a co-host, please. Unfortunately, Ravi, I don't, I'm not a co-host, so I can't do that. So one of the co-hosts needs to make Ravi a co-host, please. One moment. No problem. Debbie or Tess or John Costi? I think it's going to need to be John. I don't seem to have. We got the, it. We got it. To do that. Yeah. Okay. I think you should be good to go now, Ravi. It looks like. Um, Give it a try. Okay, there we go. Is that, can you guys see that? No. Oh, okay, nope. give me one second. All right. Yes. Okay. Okay, great. Uh, thank you so much. Okay, so um, we can, you all know I'm Kelly, really happy to be here. We can go to the next slide. Okay, and you can go to the next slide. So first of all, I just wanna give a very general view of overview of DOS as sometimes um, just out in the world, people have questions about the differences between DOS and MOD. So our role is uh, to provide services and supports for older adults, uh, veterans, people with disabilities and their families um, so that people can live as independently as possible. Next slide, please. So you can see here our vision, our mission and values, but I will tell you as somebody who's only been here two years that the goal is for people to be able to live with dignity as independent as possible, um, to have some joy would be nice and to be able to engage in the community. And so everything that we do is for um, our population, as I've said, of older adults, people with disabilities, veterans and their families to um, be able to live the life that they want with the supports that they need. Next slide, please. So in terms of uh, who we are, so we have a budget um, that's just under 500 million. And I will say for that budget, we have direct service programs uh, are the biggest share of that budget at 355 million. We have community programs of another 113 million. And then the COVID food coordination was 15 million. 
that um, is being removed from our budget next year and will go over to the Hermian Services uh, Department. And then, um, so we have 439 staff and we work with over 60 CDOs and um, between them, they have about 200 contracts. Okay, next slide, please. In terms of the departments that happen internally, we have adult protective services, in-home supportive services, which you all know is really big, and uh, our legal and guardianship programs, which include the public administrator, the public conservator, the public guardian, and the representative payee. Next slide, please. And then what we, the more external facing things we have is the Office of Community Partnerships. And you all will know that from, um, that's where the bulk of, that's where the Dignity Fund money goes. And that's where all of our programs out in the community. From there, the contracts, those are the 60 plus organizations that we work with. Um, the DOS Benefits and Rehab Resource Hub, that's located at Two Golf. And um, that's really like the no wrong door. So that's the door that people can go through to really start getting connected to our services and find out what's happening all over. And then our clinity and quality, clinical, sorry, and quality improvement program. That's uh, a group of four nurses who are really helping folks uh, transition from um, like hospitalization to um, to community living. Um, also this really strong and mighty group, they do trainings. Um, they um, were really helpful with doing homebound uh, vaccinations uh, during the height of the pandemic. And they work a lot with Laguna Honda Hospital. Okay, next slide, please. So now I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, what we've been doing this year. Next slide, please. So um, these are the things that um, you all were wanting to know more about, and I'm happy to tell you about. So let's start uh, with the next slide where we can talk more specifically about the online resource directory. Next slide, Ravi. Thank you. So the online resource directory will be launched this year. It's currently in the testing phase. Um, and um, we will have a public facing directory that'll be hosted on the DOS website. And in addition to that, we're gonna have a closed loop referral system for select, select DOS partners. Um, and then we will roll it out to make it more, um, to make it available for everyone. But the first idea is to roll, roll out of the closed loop system. We'll start with a small pilot of CBOs and then others will be added in batches. You know, the directory is something that we have been talking about for a really long time. And it's, the goal is to help people make more connections. And we understand that it doesn't work for everyone because not everyone has um, online access, but we do know that even our partners for the person who calls in to one of our um, partner agencies or a partner CBO, 
um, that CBO will be able to go online and direct um, that consumer someplace else if they are not able to serve them. And we've been wanting to do this for a long time. It's now happening. It's in the testing phase, expect it to be launched publicly fairly soon. So that's pretty exciting. Okay, next slide, please. So the Dignity Fund Services and Allocation Plan. So the Services and Allocation Plan outlines our program and funding priorities for the next four years. And this is based on, of course, the community needs assessment, which we just completed at the end of last year. So really this document is the department's guide for how we're gonna fund programs and uh, develop contracts with all of our community-based service providers. And it helps us to advance our key priorities. So, um, and again, those priorities are based on what we um, learned during the community needs assessment. So, um, so for us, uh, like our, the priorities are improving awareness and navigation of services, boosting engagement of adults with disabilities. Um, so we're, what we do is based on the services and allocation plan, we look to um, programs that are gonna support these key priorities. I think there was something in the chat, let me see. Um, so uh, the, okay, thanks, Nicole, sorry, <laughs> getting confused. There are so many things on my screen. Uh, so, we are going to present this draft, as it says, to the Oversight and Advisory Committee uh, later this month, and the final draft will be published in March based on the feedback that we get from the community. But this is a huge process for us and a really big part of what DOS does. And I'm really proud of it because it really um, speaks to the partnership that we have with the community and how it really represents, we believe, uh, what uh, is important to the community, what is important to us, and what we're going to do for the next four years. Okay, next slide, please. So the Disability Cultural Community Center. Well, this is happening right now. It is under construction right now on the corner of Grove and Van S. It's been, uh, it's being done um, in partnership with the Kelsey. And the Kelsey is a disability forward thinking organization. And um, on top of the cultural center, there will be, I think it's over 100 units, 25 of them will be specifically uh, designated uh, for people with disabilities. So we're super happy about that. Uh, we broke ground last year on this site, and as I have said many times in the past, it's the first of its kind um, uh, city-funded disability community cultural center. And so right now, we're working to procure a service provider to develop and begin implementation of the center. So we had one listening session a couple of weeks ago, and uh, to hear the community's thoughts on what should be in the center. We're having another listening session 
on February 23rd from 2 to 4 p.m. And uh, I believe maybe Cindy, if there is a link or more information about the where for that, uh, we can let you all know. Um, the construction on the site is supposed to be uh, completed so that services can start in 2025. So we're really excited about that, hoping to um, hear from all of you what should be in that center, and then um, let's uh, put out the RFP. Okay, next slide, please. So Agent Disability Friendly San Francisco. So we uh, finalized our, um, our new action plan in December and um, this is our second go around. Uh, we, uh, so we spent three years implementing the action plan from, I, I wanna say it was 2019, but I could be wrong. Um, so this is our new action plan that goes into effect and the things that, um, some of the things that we are looking at are um, one, um, the Empowered San Francisco techno Technology Needs Assessment. So the Technology Needs Assessment, I'm sure you all heard about last year, uh, was completed and it had specific recommendations for how we can um, improve uh, the accessibility for people with disabilities and older adults. And so we are still looking at that and really figuring out where can we actually make inroads. And so the age and disability friendly group has taken that on and uh, we'll make some real decisions. And I'm hoping that will, um, we'll all start to see some of the results because we know the roadmap, it's now putting it into action. Secondly, it's, creating a, a citywide campaign to end ableism. CADA is very interested in this and has been talking about um, how to get this off the ground. If any of you were here a few years ago, we did um, an end ageism campaign. And so the hope is um, to work with those who worked on the end ageism campaign just so that the, we can talk about what our lessons learned were so that when CADA and other groups are starting to think about this citywide campaign, we don't have to make some of the same mistakes that were made in the past. Uh, and then lastly, we're working on improving representation of older adults and people with disabilities across San Francisco commissions and boards. And so the idea here is that we can create a registry of people in San Francisco, in particular, people with disabilities uh, in San Francisco who are interested in serving on boards and commissions. I think oftentimes what happens is people don't know what they don't know. So they're not aware um, that these opportunities become available. It is our thought that if uh, age and disability friendly could come up with an actual registry, a book of everyone who is eligible and ready um, to do this, then we would get more um, representation on these commissions. It'll also probably include some training 
and um, just all kinds of ideas to get people interested in serving on boards and commissions because that's how our voice gets heard. You know, it's all important. Okay, so those are the big things that uh, DOS is working on right now. Okay, next slide, please. Kelly, this is Nicole speaking. Before yes. we go to the next slide, I mm -hmm. think for the most part you're doing this, but if um, if we have a request, if you could just please make sure you're reading the slides. Not everybody. Oh, sorry. Not everybody has visual access to the okay. slides. So make sure you're covering whatever. I think for okay. the most part you have been, but just a reminder. Okay. Thank you so I, much. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And my apologize to you all. So, uh, so, you know, one of the things that happens for us is that we are told never read the slides and you're just supposed to talk about what's on the slides. So I do apologize and I will do that moving through. Okay, next slide. This is our get connected slide. Okay, next slide. So I thought before I left, I would let you all know how you can stay in touch with us. This slide is get connected to DOS services. The DOS Benefits and Resource Hub is a one-stop shop where you can learn about and get connected to services for older people, adults with disabilities, veterans, and caregivers. We are available Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can do that in person. You can drop in to see us at 2 Gough Street by phone. You can call our helpline at 415-355-6700. Or online, you can visit our website at www.sfhsa.org. So if you ever have any questions about what we do, how we do it, you're concerned about yourself, a neighbor, or a friend, you can always just call that main number, come see us on Gough Street, or check on the website. Okay, next slide, please. Finally, uh, we want you to stay informed about DOS and our populations. DOS shares public reports on our website, including strategic plans, our needs assessments, demographic analyses, program reports, and other important publications. You can check them out at https colon uh, forward slash forward slash www.sfhsa.org forward slash about forward slash reports, publication slash DOS, hyphen plans, hyphen and, hyphen reports. So that's how to stay in touch with us. That's what we have going on. I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you, Kennedy. Um, I would like to open up to um, public comment space. And then we go on to go to a questions from the council and the commissioners. Okay. okay. So uh you please open up the to the public at this time. 
Yes, so just as a reminder to the public, um, you can make a public comment by using the raise hand feature if you're joining us by Zoom, or you can make a public comment using the Q&A feature in the Zoom webinar. And if you're joining us by phone, you can dial star nine when you wanna be recognized and you will be prompted when it's your turn to make comments. So I will give the public a moment if anybody, anybody would like to make a comment at this time. Uh, maybe I'll come off mute. Uh, this is uh, Linda Parker Pennington. I have, I just have a question, um, Director Chairman. Linda, can you hold one sec? Absolutely. Going to hold. Sorry, I thought you were calling us. So no, no, yes. We go. We are public comment at, at the moment, and we're going to wait for ten more seconds, and then go forward to commissioners and council members for questioning. If there's no public comment, we'll close it and then we can go ahead. Yeah. yeah go ahead, Tess, please. Uh, I, I don't see anybody um, from the public that would like to make a comment at this time. Thank you. Public comment and closed. Then, go ahead. Thank, thank you. I need to please put your question. Okay. Well, thanks. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, so, oh, well, this is my first joint meeting and I'm a new commissioner, so I may have some things that come in the category of dumb questions, uh, but this is more kind of a, a more of a personal situation for me and maybe applies to other people. Uh, if somebody is not officially um, approved or designated as disabled, uh, even if they have all kinds of presenting conditions for dis to be dis disabled, then um, uh, would they still have access to the services in the resource center? Yes. Yes, this is Kelly, and you could you can always go to Tugoff and find out what what your other options are and what the options are. So yes, you would absolutely still have access to it. Thank you. Sure. Um, cousin members, uh, Alkut, right with the question. Just a moment just for spotlighting. Thank you. This is Orchid. I'm a council member and a co-chair for the MDC. So I have some thoughts about, you know, what the future might look like, uh, the future resource center. And I'm wondering if there's been any um, logos, for example, um, something that creates access or that indicates ASL interpreting services are provided or that there are visual needs met. I think those are very important in being able to recognize um, for certain communities being um, markers for certain communities to, that our services are provided. I think oftentimes coming into a system or a new establishment where um, there might be some bureaucratic processes that are unfamiliar can be challenging for people as newcomers. And um, those symbols are great um, points for people to identify easily what they might need. And 
so just for visually challenged people and uh, and people who um, might have you know various cognitive abilities, it might be easy to provide services uh, and less overwhelming if they come in and have a logo that's present. I know that's happened before for community members and they've approached me as an aside to say, you know, this was challenging for me to navigate this system. And I've told them, you know, I, I, that it's something they might have to go back and, um, and, and work with that organization. If it's an NGO or nonprofit organization, it might not have the staff members. So I was just trying to think of how to mitigate that um, difficulty. And for people to know who might have different um, cognitive abilities that they might have, um, they might be in a place that will provide services for them. That might be one way to provide logos. That's something that they can immediately identify with, especially if they're looking for that in a specific community. Okay. Uh, thank you so much. I think that is, um, those are just the types of uh, comments and information that we um, are hoping to secure in our information session. So, but I know people who will be at that information session are on this call now and, and we'll take that information back. I think that is, I don't know if it's, I wasn't at the initial information um, listening session. So I don't know if that came up already, but I think that is brilliant and well needed. So thank you very much for that suggestion. Um, Council Member Sherry. Thank you, Alex. Um, and um, good afternoon, Kelly. Thank you for the presentation. And I have some questions on the um, community center. Um, if it's okay, um, you don't have to share the screen again, but if you could um, reiterate the points on this on the slide yep. um, that were mentioned about the community center, because um, I have attended the listening sessions and um, there were not really specifics concerning the community center, like you know the proposal and what it was actually going to, what was going to happen. And I know you mentioned. Um, you verbally mentioned the the rooftop was going to have twenty unit twenty units of what? I mean, I I just I'm very still confused about what's going to be included. You know what's happening at the community center. So yeah, you, yeah, go, thank sure. you. Sure. Okay, so first I will read the slide. So for the disability cultural community center. Procurement is in progress for a service provider to begin implementation of the center. Um, we have conducted two community listening sessions in early 2023. Actually, we've conducted one. The next one is happening um, later this month to increase awareness and gather community input on the process. And the plan is to issue an RFP request for proposals in March of 2023. We are committed to making the city and our services more inclusive to people with disabilities. Um, so the center will be located in the Civic Center on Grove and Van Ness. 
it'll be on the same site of a new affordable housing development. So the center will be on the ground floor, housing will be on top. Okay. A quarter of those units are designated for low income people with disabilities. So this, the site is currently under construction and will oh. welcome residents and launch on-site services in 2025. Okay. Okay. So it's already under construction because of the housing that was already approved and yes, undergoing right now. Okay. Correct. Okay. So, uh, and currently the city is accepting proposals for the center and how it's what it's going to consist of, how it's going to be run, who's going to run it, et cetera, et cetera. So we're not accepting proposals right now. That's okay. why we're doing the listening sessions to make sure we have heard from the community as to what they would like to see in that center. Mm -hmm. After we have done those listening sessions, we will uh, put out the request for proposals uh, in in March and people will have time thereafter to respond. Okay. All right. Thank you. That cleared up a lot. Does it? Okay. <laughs> I appreciate Great. it. Sure. Thank you. Through, okay, the chair, Alex, through the chair, Alex, is it okay if I supplement Kelly's comment? Sure. Okay, great. So I was also, this is Nicole speaking. Um, I was also on the original steering committee for the, when the uh, Disability Community Cultural Center was just a thought. So just a little bit more context that, um, that the request for proposal that's going out is based on this community feedback that we're going to, continue to gather uh, and gather again, also based on a really extensive community outreach process. There were uh, hundreds of surveys of people with disabilities that were done around uh, what they would like to see in a cultural center. And the mm -hmm. steering committee used that to make recommendations for how to uh, shape the RFP. So now we're in a place where we're going to be listening again to uh, what the community would like now, because all of that was done uh, pre-COVID. And so that's just a little bit more context for, for where we are now. I hope that's helpful. Okay, follow up, if I may. Um, where are the results of all of those, sur um, those surveys and things? Because if someone were to submit an RFP, um, they would certainly want to follow the results and the recommendations that all those surveys the results. The executive summary and stuff. I believe that's yes. posted, but I'll defer to Kelly for that. Okay. Go go ahead, Kelly. Was that that's the all, yeah, that's all posted on our website. Was that the uh the Paul um the Longmore Institute led the, the, the led the, the first effort, yes. Okay, so that was one. And then was that is there a separate um research? No, they did no. For, Okay. All right, good. All right, well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, are there any other questions from commissioners or council members at this time? Um, Alex, if it's okay, I just have one more comment that I wanted to make. Go ahead. Uh, and that's uh, uh, in response to an earlier question. I just wanted to be clear that we are working with our communications team um, to get those symbols that I believe um, Councilmember Orchid referred to um, embedded 
and we're working with our, um, sorry, I've just lost my train of thought. Um, and we're working with our intake team over at Tugoff, uh, but also on the website and also when people call uh, to make things more accessible. So we have very much heard that and reckon and um, totally hear your point about if people could see those symbols, they would know um, that it's more accessible and we are working on that right now. Thank you for that. I, I have a question for you, Candy. I know that um, there is this um, um, limited from that is a working group right now on um, what's going to get with a disability culture center and possibly on the housing park. Um, can you talk, talk about that more or who's sit on those um, committees? You're muted, Kelly. I've been doing this so long, I can't believe that still happens. Uh, um, for the housing, that's all being done by the Kelsey, and I don't know if there is currently a working group that is talking about the housing. For the cultural center, that has everything to do with the listening sessions, and it is staffed uh, by the city and um where we have an opportunity for community members to come and talk about what they would like to see in the center. That is a great opportunity for um, people to speak up. So, and the next one is happening on February 23rd. I will just say, I believe Cindy Kaufman is on this call. If there is something else that I should add there, Cindy, can you put it in the chat? Um, Last time, I forget who said it, but I suggested that possibly um, looking into a Edwards campus in Berkeley and getting a copy the uh, physical accessibility on that um, on that building into that cultural center is something to think about. So wait, I'm sorry, I didn't know. So, so something. Um, so what I'm saying is that I know, I forgot who asked the question or recommended mm -hmm. last time that um, taking a look on the age Roberts campus yes. and yes. taking a look on the physical accessibility on yes. that building and kind of mimic that yes. into to that um, space. Yes. Okay. Yes, that was asked last time to look at the Ed Roberts campus um, and how they uh, uh, manage all things accessibility and maybe to mimic some of the things that they do there into this space. I think that has been considered, but that'll definitely go into 
um, the notes for all uh, so that, for that when we're putting out the um, RFP. I think that's really important. But also recognize that we're dealing with a much smaller space, but still we want to, it, it should be as accessible as mm -hmm. possible. That is the point. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. And Thank you. If, if there's no um, question on the or um, because uh, commissioner, I'm going to turn the question to the staff, if there is any question to the staff. There is one council member, Denise Senhawks, who's joining by phone, so I'm going to unmute her and allow her to make her comment. All right, you should be allowed to unmute Denise. Good afternoon. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Thank you, Alex. Good afternoon, everyone, council members. And I want to welcome Ke Kelly Dearman, the executive director, and the other commissioners for disability aging. I'm glad that we finally had an opportunity to get together. Some of my questions were already addressed through other council's comments and concerns. The third question was really, um, a suggestion, not so much a uh, question. And let me know if I'm off because I couldn't get in on the, the Zoom. I was having technical difficulties, but I caught some of the audio. So if I'm incorrect, my apologies. When you were talking about outreach to the disability and aging population about becoming more involved and serving on you know, the council and commissions, and I believe you touched upon an aspect around training and I couldn't hear maybe you wanted suggestions on beside the other areas you touched upon around the, the training on those advisory councils and or commissions. And some of the things that we've worked on in the past is getting the other council members or Alex can refresh my memory, but we've you know done some outreach with the connections that each of the council member has. And then we've also posted stuff on the MDC website at times. We also did um, had an interview process when people were were brought in, and we kind of, we educated them just like you did about what you do and the difference between the council and disability aging, and what you do. And we got an area of their interests, what they're interested in, you know, what their passions are. We tried to get an idea of what their experience so people would not be intimidated because everybody comes in to these positions in a different um, skill set, depending again on the population that you're working with and how much education and, and training and what they've been involved in. So I think having the training to let people know exactly what is expected and how to assist them to get to that point, because sometimes it can be intimidating to step forward and want to serve on a council and commission. And I'm sure just like all of us, we want to do the very best job and bring the very best education and skill set so we can represent our populations and do the best that we can. I'm still trying. I've been on the council for years. You always try and improve your skill set. So um, I didn't know if you already had thoughts on what that training looked like or, you know, offline we can discuss because I know we still need to continue other ideas around those outreach efforts. Thank you. I will thank go back you. and mute myself now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I think those are um, great.
great recommendations. You know, we want to make sure that people understand that um, the opportunity to uh, to sit on different uh, commissions and councils is not limited to our two commissions and councils. That um, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of stuff happening throughout the city, and we want um, we want people with disabilities and older adults to be familiar with it so that um, they too can participate more. So I think you're right. Any training that gets an opportunity to find out more about the person, then they can see what else is out there in the city is going to be helpful. But I'm happy to talk to you anytime about this offline. So thank you. Okay. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Judith. Um, before we go, uh, and I can see the public coming, but we're going to go over that after going to the staff comments or questions. Glad to go to questions. This is Nicole speaking. Thanks again for coming, Kelly. I just we we've already closed public comment, but I did want to just share some pieces of information that were shared by a, a few members uh, in response to, to Kelly's presentation. So first of all, we, we do have a representation from the Kelsey who are um, following our meeting today. And Caroline says, if people would like to see more about the housing being built on top, you can go to the Kelsey's website at the Kelsey, K-E-L-S-E-Y, one word, the Kelsey, org slash projects slash civic hyphen center and also there is a community advisory group for housing if you're interested you can reach out to kyle k-y-l-e at the kelsey one word dot org and uh jessica uh layman is also following us and mentioned the uh the advisory group as well so just to, to your questions, Alex, hopefully that's helpful for those that are following our meeting. And, and that's all. And as always, uh, Kelly, the Mayor's Office on Disability is so happy to collaborate with Disability and Aging Services. And we do often, but I would love to continue our collaboration and uh, let us know the best ways that we can help as you continue to advanced um, visibility and options for folks with disabilities. We truly appreciate it. That is all. Thank you, Director Van. And um, for that, I just want to say thank you, Kenny, for coming and um, following the report. And I hope this is um, a new and a start for the question and commissioner to work together. Um, again, thank you very much for coming and we will see you again in the near future. With that, I'm going to um, we have a 15 minute break. Um, so right now it's two or six, and we're going to come back in 15 minutes.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Alex Berlin. I won half the gold chain from the Mirrors on Disability Concert in San Francisco um, February 17, 2023. And we are coming back from a break. And now we are moving along to um, discussion on the aging and disability affordable housing needs assessment and regain presentation by um, Marta Christian. Marta, take it away. Okay, thank you. And I apologize for my uh, te technical difficulties before. No I appreciate. Go ahead. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, great. Um, just apologize again for not being able to talk uh, before, but we that's what vice chairs are for. And thank you, Janet Spears, for, for helping with that item. Um, and also, I just wanted to uh, chime in with uh, what our executive director, Dearman, said at this meeting means so much to us. Uh, it is attended by most of our commissioners, and we just really appreciate the comments uh, and interest of our uh, fellow commissioners today on uh, the items that we all share. So with that, I'm going to uh, start out uh, agenda item six or seven. Um, and it is uh, aging and disability affordable housing needs assessment. Uh, and I, I think it's Izzy Clater from San Francisco Human Services Agency is set to present, if that's correct. That is correct. Okay, um, I'll take it, yeah. let you take it over from here. Thank Izzy, you. just one moment. We have um, for um, whomever is promoting panelists, if we could also please promote Lisa Chen from the planning department. Great. So okay. that she can join our conversation. So sorry to interrupt. No, it's all good. <laughs> if, one of, if one of the MOG staff can confirm when that's done, uh, that would be fantastic. I believe I just did it. This is Debbie. Okay. Is my screen sharing okay? Yes. Um, well, thank you for, for having us here today. Good afternoon, council members and commissioners. My name is Izzy Clater, and I'm a senior planning analyst with HSA's planning unit. Today, in collaboration with colleagues from other city departments, we are pleased to share out some key insights from the 2022 Aging and Disability affordable housing needs assessment. This is the first year we have published this report and therefore the first time members from five city departments came together to evaluate the unmet housing needs of low-income older adults and adults with disabilities. Today I'm going to start by sharing some background on the report. I'll move on from there to highlight our findings and recommendations and then we'll have a short discussion about next steps. So some, some background on the report. Uh, the Board of Supervisors passed an ordinance in December of 2020, establishing two new reports focused on housing for seniors and adults with disabilities. We published the housing overview report last year and for the first time this year, the housing needs assessment. 
The overview report provides a high level snapshot of affordable housing for older adults and adults with disabilities. It's a shorter report and it's focused on existing and future housing stock. The needs assessment, which we'll be sharing out today, is a more comprehensive report. It provides an analysis of housing needs, relevant city programs, and it issues a set of recommendations to address those needs. To support the needs assessment, DOS convened an interdepartmental steering committee with representation from five partner departments that were named in the legislation. That includes DOS, the Department of Disability and Aging Services, um, the, Mayor's the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, also known as MOCD, the Mayor's Office on Disability, MOD, the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, HSH, and the Planning Department. Members of the Interdepartmental Steering Committee include the following representatives who are also here today. We have Cindy Kaufman from the Department of Disability and Aging Services, Sheila Nicolopoulos from the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, Nicole Bond from the Mayor's Office on Disability, Bryn Miller and Rakita O'Neill from Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, and Lisa Chen from City Planning. This group met on a monthly basis to help shape the process and the final product. Before we dive into the needs assessment report and its findings, I want to briefly describe several types of city funded affordable housing. The first type of affordable housing is low income rental housing that's primarily managed through MoCD's housing website. Here on this website, affordable housing seekers can view new listings and apply for affordable housing. The majority of the needs assessment focuses on this type of rental housing and the population it supports. The second type of affordable housing is inclusionary rental units or below market rate, also abbreviated to BMR. This type of housing has several different names in our city. These units are developed by, by for-profit housing developers but are available to low-income qualified households. The third type of affordable housing is supportive housing. Here, affordable rental units are combined with on-site supportive services for people experiencing homelessness, as well as other types, of, and as well as um, people with disabilities. So, I'm gonna just underscore the fact that the majority of what we talk about today is based on the first category of affordable housing, which is low income rental housing. Okay, let's jump into the needs assessment report that we're actually here to learn about. The purpose of our needs assessment was to better understand unmet housing needs across low and moderate income adults with disabilities and seniors in San Francisco. These populations are fundamentally unique, but share some similar housing accessibility needs, as well as face similar housing affordability challenges due in part to living on fixed incomes 
in a city with a very high cost of living. We developed a set of research questions to guide our methodological framework. Those questions are, number one, what are the housing needs of low-income older adults and adults with disabilities? Two, what barriers do these populations face in accessing city-funded affordable housing, resources, and programs? And three, what are the biggest challenges and opportunities for improving housing security for older adults and adults with disabilities? Now, one big difference in this project from other research-oriented ones is that without doing much additional research, we already know a lot about the state of housing in San Francisco. We know that there is a housing crisis that disproportionately affects low-income and marginalized groups. And we know that this crisis has to do with there not being enough housing, there not being enough affordable housing, and we know that this is also an accessibility crisis given San Francisco's relatively old housing stock. So to focus on areas that we could shed new light, we aimed to identify primarily programmatic barriers across our housing systems and pinpoint challenges that not only affect our communities, but burden the service providers and housing agencies from being as effective as possible in meeting their mission. For this assessment, we also gathered and analyzed information in many ways. We leveraged agency and program data to help us develop profiles of who our housing programs serve and how we serve them. A priority was making sure we heard directly from the community through stakeholder engagement. So we provided many ways for city residents to make their voices heard. To do this, we worked with a consultant to gather qualitative data through methods like in-depth interviews, community forums, focus groups, and two surveys. Overall, we heard from over 1,200 community members. So at this point, we're gonna dive into some of our findings and recommendations. Overall, we developed 10 findings and issued over 40 recommendations to support those findings. Today, we are only going to highlight four of those findings and just a select recommendations so that we're not here all weekend. We encourage anyone with further interest in our findings and recommendations to review the report, which can be found on the DOS website. And hopefully we can drop into the chat. So let's dive in. Our first finding reinforces some points that most of us probably already know, which is that there is not enough affordable and accessible housing for low-income adults with disabilities and seniors. For our recommendations, on the accessibility side, we identified the need for housing agencies to review tenant placement processes for when accessible units become available to ensure that people with disabilities are being prioritized for accessible units. We also need to expand outreach and marketing requirements to ensure that people with disabilities actually see these opportunities. On the affordability front, 
we recognize the need to better understand and act on the root causes of inadequate affordable housing production. Additionally, we need to continue to mitigate housing instability by investing in our supportive services. We are going to present on a series of charts that exemplify some of our findings. This first graph delves more deeply into some of the numbers behind our first finding. This chart shows that in 2019, over 40,000 adults with disabilities and senior renters experienced a rent burden. A rent burden amounts to paying more than 30% of household income in rent. There is a red dotted portion of the graph that represents the share of San Francisco's low income seniors and adults with disability renter households that experience a rent burden. I want to um, highlight the fact that this number includes individuals who rent both on the open market and those living in city funded affordable housing. This next chart focuses on adults with disabilities, ages 18 through 61 who rent their homes. We find that lower income groups experience higher rates of rent burden with almost 80% of extremely low income households experiencing a rent burden of some kind. And over half of those households paying more than 50% of their income in rent. This chart depicts the extreme affordability issue that lower income groups with disabilities in particular face. Finally, the last chart we are going to review depicts the mismatch between what senior households living in affordable housing can afford compared to set rent prices based on area median income. Senior designated affordable units are priced higher than what those households can afford without being rent burdened. What we've seen is that for roughly three quarters of senior households who are living in affordable housing, operating subsidies or tenant subsidies make up the difference to help these households pay rent. Tenant-based subsidies fund tenants regardless of the rental unit whereas operating subsidies help further subsidize city-funded affordable units. This pattern brings us to our next finding, which is that tenant and project-based or operating subsidies are a critical resource for helping low-income adults with disabilities and older adults make ends meet including those living in affordable housing. Our recommendations include exploring new ways to invest in project-based operating subsidies for housing developments serving these populations and expanding city-funded tenant-based rental assistance programs. Oops. 
Our third finding today highlights inadequate accessibility features within affordable housing sites to meet the range of tenant accessibility needs. To address the programmatic nature of reasonable modifications that tenants may request to building managers, we recommend providing more consistent training on the reasonable modification process and formalizing a consistent process. We also recognize that some of these modifications can be costly. So to improve long-term building accessibility, especially across older buildings, we may need to subsidize or incentivize those repairs and maintenance in a more robust way. Our last finding that we'll share today speaks to cross-departmental coordination or what is effectively working together. We found that overall affordable housing resources are siloed and the system doesn't have a mechanism to coordinate services and collaborate across city and non-city jurisdictions to share data and program information. So we will be looking to strengthen interdepartmental collaboration and identify opportunities to coordinate best practices for data collection and quality assurance. I just spoke to this slide. I didn't skip early enough to it, um, but this just reiterates that we are going to be looking to um, strengthen our interdepartmental collaboration and service coordination. At this point, I am going to hand it off to Executive Director Kelly Dearman to talk more about next steps. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Izzy. Okay, so in terms of the project next steps, as DOS winds down its role as report facilitator and convener of our interdepartmental steering committee, individual departments are beginning to have conversations about implementation planning and resourcing needed to adopt these recommendations. We are currently strategizing for options for implementation led by subject matter experts and those best poised to make these changes. At the same time, the steering committee is wrapping up public presentation and socialization of this report with the community. So in addition to individual briefings with city supervisors and our presentation with this group today, we're anticipating a hearing with the Board of Supervisors Committee on Public Safety and Neighborhood Services. This will provide another opportunity for the community to hear from us and close the feedback loop after extensive engagement to support this report. In addition, DOS is exploring possible adjustments to the needs assessment process and timeline. We're discussing opportunities to align this needs assessment timeline more closely with the citywide housing element, which is completed every eight years by the planning department in light of their shared subject matter goals, key stakeholders and strategies for intervention. We're especially interested in ensuring that we offset the affordable housing needs assessment cycle from the city's primary senior and disability focused needs assessment, the Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment, which DOS completes every four years. 
At this point, we're going to shift gears to highlight some of the next steps and implementation planning efforts within each department. We are gonna to speak to how each of our departments are digesting information and thinking about implementation in the near and long term. To kick off this conversation, I'm going to hand it over to DOS Deputy Director Cindy Kaufman to highlight how DOS is thinking about findings and recommendations. Thank you. Thank you, Director Dearman. So I would like to start by kicking it off by saying that DOS as a department, our mandate is to provide social services to older adults and adults with disabilities. But along with that, we also bring an understanding of these populations to policy and strategy conversations on housing. And we hope to continue having a seat at the table in future research and policy conversations on this particular topic. So while DOS is not the primary city department that provides housing, we do provide some small scale housing related services to older adults and adults with disabilities. So going forward, we are primarily looking to use Dignity Fund growth to support implementation strategies published in the needs assessment that fall within our social services framework. And as a reminder, we are not permitted to use dignity funds to build any type of housing. Um, the needs assessment recommendations were also published at a really good time for us as we're currently finalizing our service and allocation plan as uh, Director Dearman mentioned in her presentation earlier. Um, and the plan guides our program funding for the next four fiscal years. So one of the examples of the recommendations that we are looking at now um, that's informing our services and allocation plan is developing a small home modification grant program. And the purpose of the program would be to offer minor home modifications, including essential accessibility upgrades that help to improve safety, increase independence, and support a person's ability to age in place. DOS will also continue to partner with the mayor's uh, um, Office on Housing and Community Development to administer the Senior Operating Subsidy Program, which provides grant funding for project-based rental subsidies to help make housing more deeply affordable to older residents. These funds are directed to operators of new developments in the city's affordable housing portfolio, and they're used to subsidize units designated for seniors. So from here, I'm going to hand it over to Lisa Chen in city planning to talk about how they are thinking about implementation of needs assessment recommendations. Good, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm Lisa Chen with the planning department. Um, and I just wanna thank you all for holding this joint hearing and also wanna recognize Izzy's great work in coordinating our city agencies on the needs assessment. Um, so at the planning department, um, we're really excited to see this robust work um, wrapping up uh, because we see it as being in direct alignment with the housing element um, and can, it can really inform that process as director Dearman noted in her comments. Um, so for those of you who are not familiar with our housing element, it's essentially the city's overarching plan for housing. 
Um, so it's prepared by the planning department in coordination with city agencies and policymakers. Um, and under state laws, we are required to update it every eight years. Um, so our current housing element has 42 policies and over 350 implementation actions that touch upon all aspects of our housing system. And it implicates dozens of city agencies um, and it's meant to meet our diverse housing needs. Um, and so this round of housing elements is the first time that we've had to face new and very stringent state requirements related to affordable housing and other areas. Um, so you may have seen in the news that San Francisco's housing element was adopted at the end of January um, and was certified by the state immediately thereafter. Um, so we're one of only five Bay Area jurisdictions out of 109 that have successfully met the state deadlines. Um, and then the following week, um, Mayor Breed issued an executive directive on housing for all, which directly reinforces the policies of the housing element and adds additional teeth. Um, next slide. Um, so, um, you know, the, the needs assessment and our housing element were developed in parallel, and so they do speak to each other. Um, so the first bullet here is from the housing element implementation plan, and is basically a placeholder saying that the city should work to implement the recommendations of the needs assessment. Um, so specifically at planning, our next step is that we are hiring a senior and disability housing planner who is going to create an implementation plan um, which will be directly informed by the needs assessment. Um, so this implementation plan would build from the recommendations of the needs assessment and help identify additional gaps, partners, and resources needed to meet our housing goals. Um, and so this is a one-year position that was funded by ADBAC funds from former supervisor Gordon Marr. Um, and finally, um, we're going to have Sheila from the mayor's office speak shortly, but I wanted to highlight that we're creating additional processes across the city um, to ensure oversight and monitoring um, to make sure that we're meeting our housing targets, including for um, housing for seniors and people with disabilities. Um, so there is an interagency implementation team that is being formed that will coordinate and track our work across city agencies, as well as an affordable housing implementation and funding strategy that will be developed over the next year. Um, and so I'm now going to pass it over to Sheila Nicolopoulos from MoCD. Good afternoon. I'm Sheila Nicolopoulos with the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Let me share my slides with you. Uh, so first, following up on what Lisa talked about, the, the, um, our implementation highlights are integrating the needs assessment findings, which Izzy just talked about, with the Mayor's Housing for All Executive Directive that was released last week. And that will focus on the affordable housing implementation and funding strategy and on strategies for cost reduction so that we can um, lessen the overall cost of producing affordable housing. I do want to highlight our placement success, which was recommendation 1.5 in the report, um, that we have implemented policies and procedures to ensure appropriate placements, and that I'm Glad to say in the past five years that 100% of affordable units designated for people with disabilities and seniors have gone to those intended households. I would like to highlight um, two or a few other items that are underway for, to implement the recommendations in this report. 
One is around proactive communication, which was recommendation 3.3, and that we are in the process um, of assisting nonprofit agencies to improve their efficiencies to their waitlist management, and we're working on that currently. Um, there's a few recommendations, 4.1, 6.1, and 6.2, that highlight the need to train staff on service navigation resources and reasonable accommodations. And that MOHCD is currently reviewing training materials. We will launch trainings this spring. And after that, we'll be holding trainings quarterly to help um, build staff knowledge and capacity to serve these specific populations. And I, um, I'm, I have something else where I may have to leave the meeting a little bit early, but I will be here as long as I can to answer any questions for MOHCD. Thank you. And I believe I am next. Hi, everyone. My name is Bryn Miller. I'm a legislative analyst at HSH and really appreciate you having us here today to talk about some next steps for our department from this report. HSH used the needs assessment to help guide our 2023 strategic planning process, which just concluded, and we're going to be releasing that report next month. This report also just underscored the continued need for us to advocate at the state and federal level for more tenant-based subsidies and more funding and flexible policies for supportive services for older adults and for people with disabilities. This report also highlighted some areas of collaboration that we're interested in exploring further. Two main ones are working with MOD and DOS on materials to educate our provider staff on referrals, resource connections, and responses to reasonable accommodation requests, and also improving data sharing between HSH, MOCD, and our other partner agencies. With that, I will turn it over to Nicole. Thank you. Thanks, Bryn. Hi, everyone. This is Nicole Bond from the Mayor's Office on Disability. And I don't have a slide today, but I'm going to say just a few things uh, as part of the steering committee work. First of all, it was really been a pleasure and a privilege to be part of this group. In terms of the way that MOD is participating moving forward, when we uh, started to look at the uh, for over 40 recommendations, we realized that many of them, of course, directly impact people with disabilities. So MOD is identified as partner support on many of these initiatives. And so we do anticipate that we'll be working with our um, agencies, the agencies on this call, especially, to really start to make some progress, especially around education, around what's needed in terms of disability access, uh, programmatically and also architecturally to the degree that we have uh, facilities that need uh, continued maintenance and upkeep. And so towards that end, we have MOD has some uh, vacancies and we're in the process of working through those in uh, one of the proposals that is under consideration right now. We have a uh, staff position that would be specifically assisting among their other duties with this project as well. So we really, um, we are really glad that this report exists and we are doing uh, as much as we can to make sure that we can be 
as uh, supportive in terms of our technical expertise towards the uh, programmatic and architectural access um, and needs of, that, that came out of these reports. So um, with that, I think that um, closes that closes our the presentation portion of this, correct, Izzy? Okay, and so um, uh, Alex or Martha, if you want to call for public comment, we'll do that next, and then we'll go to uh, and then we'll go to questions. I can open it to the public comment. Um, thank you. Open up to public comment. Thank you. Yes, so just as a reminder to the public, um, you can make a comment by using the raise hand feature if you're joining the Zoom webinar, um, or you can use the Q&A feature as well. Uh, if you're joining by phone, you can raise your hand by dialing star nine, um, and you will be prompted when it's your turn to make comments. So, um, I do see that at least one member of the public would like to make a comment. Um, Looks like a, a phone caller. Uh, so 415-641-1997. Um, I've allowed you to unmute and you may make your comment. Hello? Yes, we can hear Hello? you. Hello? Okay, my name is Kathy Lipscomb and I'm a member of San Francisco Senior and Disability Action. And I'm very glad to be on this phone call. And in our collaborative housing meeting the other day, Senior and Disability Action discovered, I discussed this report and uh, we're very pleased that the report has happened. And we also, uh, though, are afraid that this report, like a lot of others, others in all different kinds of fields, will just get, find a shelf, a warm shelf someplace, and that'll be the end of it. So we're, we're determined that that doesn't happen to tell you the truth. And we think the report will be very helpful in uh, the uh, meetings on the budget this coming spring. So um, what struck us was, or me and some others, is that only 27 of a future um, 10,000 affordable housing for seniors had uh, disability access. This is unacceptable. You know, disability can be thought of in a very conventional way. But in my experience, as you age, I'm in my early 80s, uh, you know, your body stiffens up, your hearing isn't quite the same, your eyesight isn't quite the same. So you're on your way from maybe minor disabilities to more, uh, more um, bigger ones. Uh, it's just a fact of life. So that's why uh, it's important, very important, to look at these uh, homes in terms of, of accessibility for seniors who have uh, disabilities and growing disabilities. The other thing that we looked at was the expanding of the rental subsidies for seniors uh, and seniors with a disability. You know, this is one of our favorite subjects because we've actually made presentations about um, subsidized rentals, renting at uh, planning meetings, uh, at planning meetings and also at um, uh, the budget meetings, preparation for the budget. So we 
are in praise of this. It's just simply not, we don't have enough right now. Subsidies are good because you don't have to build a new house. You don't have to have that expense for the city or for nonprofits. You just help subsidize people where they are, where they're in place. People who may need a few hundred dollars a month to, to, to get by. So we encourage the expansion of subsidies for seniors. Uh, also, uh, lastly, is it's very important that there be uh, an increase in funding to improve affordable housing that we already have, such as the SROs. Some of the SROs are in good condition, others are sort of in a state of wreckage. So people who are aging need to age with uh, dignity and a broken down building and broken down elevators uh, is not living in dignity. So we ask you to please take that one very seriously. And lastly, I just say, we're determined at SDA, Senior Disability Action, not to let this report stay on the shelves. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your comment. Next, could we have any more um, public comment this time? Uh, I do see one other member of the public that would like to speak. Um, so, Betty, uh, I believe you should have permission to talk and you may make your comment whenever you're ready. Okay, thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, this is uh, Betty Trainer. I'm also with Senior and Disability Action. I'm on the board. And um, I'm really reiterating a lot of what Kathy uh, Lipskind said. Uh, in particular, the issue around the need for deeply affordable housing. Um, we uh, get the list monthly from open house. And for instance, the February list, it was about 15 openings. 10 of those were SROs, some of which are really not appropriate for seniors and people with disabilities. They have to go down the hall to the bathroom. They don't have kitchen facilities. The ones that were in private um, uh, or in senior buildings, I should say, the minimum income, uh, one of them was 35,000 a year. Another one was uh, 34,000, 28,000. Low income seniors who are uh, on, on social security, such as myself, we can't afford that type of, of rent or not rent, but the income. Once we get past that, the rent can be too high also, but that income is just not anything that most of the people, as you could see in, in the statistics that were presented, can afford. We would uh, People would come to our office and ask for help. We would show them this list and they would just hand it back and say, I'm sorry, I don't have this income. What can we do? So we really have to work on getting the money for the, uh, as Kathy said, for the um, expanding the rental subsidies and rental subsidies for individuals as well as the project-based and also include the uh, disability operating subsidies. Uh, it's just so urgent. And if we can just get some of this money into the mayor's budget, that would be wonderful. And if some of the people who are our, our city with city agencies could help us with that, uh, help our seniors and people with disabilities to get the, get the money we need 
into the mayor's budget, into the uh, Board of Supervisors uh, add back process. And other, we really need to brainstorm on other ways to um, facilitate this so that so many hundreds, thousands of seniors can really afford the rents that uh, are often way, way higher than, than their income. That's all, thank you. Thank you for the comment. Do we have another public comment? Yes, um, I see Legio with their hand up. Um, you have been permitted to unmute and you can make your comment whenever you're ready. Thank you. Um, hi, uh, my name is Ligia Montano and I'm also with Senior and Disability Action. I'm calling here because it's great to have a, 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 a starting point. And I, I think that this re report, these findings are the, be the beginning point of something that can be really good for seniors and people with disabilities, depending on how we use it, right? So I would like to um, say that from your own findings, you know, I think that it would be great if you can extend rental subsidies for seniors and people with disabilities, including senior operating subsidies, which is more like a, a deep affordable housing, right? And also create a disability operating subsidy program because we don't have one. And we have a lot of people that are you know, struggling to get housing and, and you know about this too. Um, so um, another thing is to please make it easier to apply for affordable housing, including, you know, in-person virtual options or options and in multiple languages and not to leave it um, to lock because that lottery system is not working um, for a lot of people, you know, and um, I think it's, it's not about luck. You need to really have housing as a basic need and as a human right. And so um, I would like to see that coming from this report, like how that's gonna, um, you know, become um, a reality. And um, also, like Kathy was talking about, um, you know, how people when we are aging um, start having different needs to make it easier for tenants to get access to modification and subsidize costly modif modifications because a lot of people needs to find other places because, um, you know, they can no longer stay in the place where, where they are because the modification they cannot afford, um, you know? And so if that's something that can be, you know, a program or I don't know, I know we already have one, but something um, much deeper than that. Thank you so much for doing this. This is great. And so I can't wait to see what the results of all this is. Thank you. Thank you for the comment. Are there any more public comments at this time? Yes, um, I see Jessica Lehman would like to make a comment. Um, 
As of now, you've been permitted to unmute and you can make your comment whenever you're ready. Hello, everyone. It's such a pleasure to be here today with all of you, with the, the commission and council joining each other. Um, and I really want to thank Izzy Quater for working on this excellent report and for all the, the staff who have worked together. Um, I would love to see some kind of collaboration like this continue. It reminds me of Bill Hirsch from AIDS Legal Referral Panel um, talking about how like 10, 15 years ago, there was a group called the CHAZ. And it was kind of like this, people from different departments coming together to work on housing for people with disabilities and seniors. And there's no reason we, we can't have that to keep these things going. Um, I realized I forgot to introduce myself. I'm Jessica Lehman with Senior and Disability Action. Um, one more from, from SDA. Um, just wanna highlight some of the findings that we're particularly excited about. Um, making sure that accessible units go to disabled people who need them, including seniors. Uh, expanding rental subsidies for seniors and people with disabilities, including senior operating subsidies. And we were overjoyed that you basically suggested creating a disability operating subsidy program, um, making it easier for people to apply for affordable housing, including in-person and virtual options and in multiple languages, making it easier for tenants to get access modifications and to subsidize costly modifications. We fought for a fund for some of that, but we need so much more and we need to figure out what to do about landlords that just say no. Um, what else? Elevator repair and replacement, of course, is a huge priority. Um, and then in finding eight, you said expand access to IHSS and mental health services at affordable housing buildings. There are some exciting pilots happening around this um, that we would love to see expanded in a really big way. Um, and then from finding 10 to expand tenant counseling and advocacy for seniors and people with disabilities. And I also love that it pointed out collecting data on household disability status. We don't get information on disability across the city and it makes it very hard to follow up on these kinds of things. Two specific questions I wanna leave you with. One is that only 27 of the future more than 10,000 affordable housing units to be built are designated for people with disabilities. And I understand that those are all the units in the Kelsey, I think it's 28 actually. Um, what do we have to do to increase this number? We know the financing is complicated. We also know it's possible. So how do we make that happen? Secondly, many former public housing buildings were designated for seniors and people with disabilities. And as they've been converted through the RAD process, what is being done to make sure that these units are protected for seniors and people with disabilities? Thank you so much. Look forward to collaborating with you on implementing this. Thank you for the comment. Any more public comment? At this time. Uh -huh. Yes, I see Allie Cannington would like to make a comment um, at this time. Allie, you've been permitted to unmute and you may make your comment whenever you're ready. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Allie Cannington. Um, thank you for uh, holding this important meeting today. Uh, I um, am a, a disabled community member uh, and I also work at the Kelsey uh, where we advocate and create affordable, accessible, and inclusive housing for people with and without disabilities, as well as a board member of Senior and Disability Action. Uh, and I just wanted to um, lift up uh, the importance of, um, 
you know, how the city can continue to invest in, um, in more projects like the Kelsey Civic Center um, as it really anchors in so many of the solutions that are recommended um, in, in the report and in the findings. I also want to um, just note that I think there are ways that the city can um, not just increase requirements related to um, in, uh, accessibility and affordability for people with disabilities, but also to incentivize um, projects to go beyond the minimum requirements as what was just recently stated, there's very few designated for people with disabilities, but how can we um, incentivize um, the, the field of housers um, in San Francisco to go um, beyond the minimum requirements? We have an example that Kelsey has worked with the city of San Jose um, to add incentives into their um, uh, NOFA process. Um, uh, around uh, increasing going beyond the minimum requirements. So there's models out there and I think um, uh, we'd love to see San Francisco explore um, uh, similar um, uh, solutions. Uh, and lastly, I just wanna lift up the, the need to ensure that um, housing that is built or rehabbed uh, is uh, is available to people with and without disabilities where um, people with and without disabilities live together in integrated spaces while, while ensuring also that people with disabilities who need supportive services in their own homes um, are, are supported to receive their services in their own homes and really think about people um, with disabilities uh, of all ages who um, may be uh, are in need of uh, exiting congregate or uh, facility-based settings, um, including places like Laguna Honda, uh, so we can ensure that every person with a disability, regardless of age, has, um, uh, has the right to live out um, their life, uh, living in the community with housing that they need, uh, can afford and can access. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. As I read the public comment at this time, I don't see any other members of the public that would like to make a comment at this time. Okay. Um, to the chair, there is a comment that I would just like to share that came in the Q&A. So okay. I just, uh, uh, on behalf of Harry Kingman is asking, how can we as members of the public best advocate for expanding senior operating subsidies and create disability operating subsidies? So just for consideration of the group. Uh, that is all the public comment I see at this time. Thank you. I'm going to pause the public comment again. If you for the public, if you have additional questions, please reach out to mrdsf.gov. Now I'm going to um, um, to the session and to the uh, commissioners' questions, I see Alkut um, has questions. Uh, Alkut, go ahead. 
So one second, through the chair, the way that we're going to um, direct these questions is that the steering committee has asked uh, me, I'll put my camera back on, this is Nicole speaking, sorry about that, to help direct questions to the appropriate um, steering committee member. So I'm gonna help with that. Just giving you a heads up. Okay, thanks. All good, go ahead. Hi, this is Orchid here. Uh, just a quick comment um, about San Francisco. There's about 16 to 18,000 of people who've experienced different types of homelessness. And, uh, and that percentage uh, is uh, an unknown how many people with um, uh, known and um, unknown disabilities are, are in that percentage, but it's a high number. And that includes different, you know, um, temporary illnesses or uh, long-term illnesses, but there's many barriers to housing. And I'm wondering what fair housing practices look like when we're talking about that. I think that a lot of people think that um, SROs are a for-profit um, business. And I am no an individual with multiple disabilities who is super excited to get, um, get a, a place. And there were uh, a number of places, uh, there was a number of things that caught, it eventually ended up to this person's um, uh, demise. There was a number of things that um, were contributing to that. It was not a clean environment. It was not a safe environment. It was not a housing environment that was stable and secure. And that does happen in San Francisco, often in those SRO locations. And I think that they tend to be in areas where they're close to a lot of um, rough activity, bars or other type of activity. They're not safe places. And I think that presents additional challenges when we're thinking of just providing housing to also providing housing in a safe and clean environment. I think landlords often, you know, present maybe they think they've done their due diligence by presenting some sort of maybe a, a sign with rules, but that's not enough for securing safety in a, in a, uh, in a home environment like that. And I've heard of so many stories like this. And I think about the housing situation in San Francisco, it is not great. So what we have new buildings going up. So what there's so many thing people that come in with income and disposable income and policies that are created, but they're not created with people in mind for advocating and for support. And I think that, you know, a lot of mental health um, goes into some of the situations where individuals are looking for housing. So, um, and you kind of hit a wall, you hit, hit a, a place where you can't move forward. And so, you know, whole, this lottery system is just a luck-based system that is very um, uh, disparaging. And there are a number of ways that policies could be created to, um, you know, do better, to make sure that's an equitable system. If there is some sort of selection-based system that it should be um, done equi equitably, there needs to be different different solutions. Something needs to be done. Thank you. Next, we have Okay, thank you, Alex. Thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you all for the presentation. And I've taken some notes while you were talking, and so I'm just pulling them up. Like Nicole, I am happy this report exists. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And more importantly, 
Um, I'm happy that there's this commitment to helping keep seniors and people with disabilities in San Francisco. Um, Jessica mentioned uh, surveying households. I think I got this right. She had mentioned surveying households to identify members with disabilities. Uh, to that end, I don't know if the city's ever thought about surveying households for accessible housing. And here's my thinking. I, my partner and I, my wife and I, made our home accessible for our daughter who is in a wheelchair. Um, now, it also helps us be able to age into our home, right? Um, so it's a, it's a win for all of us, which is beside the point. Of course, we would do this for our daughter. But um, that point about it being a home now that someone can age in, um, coupled with the fact that this, this, this design trend, this open plan design trend, um, uh, it's, a, it's a design that we incorporated in our home. I think it's becoming more and more um, popular and prevalent and common. Um, and to that end, it's the, it's, 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 it's accessible design is my point. And so folks are doing this who don't necessarily need accessibility, but who have um, designed a home that is, if not technically accessible, is, is very close to being it or on its way to being it. So my suggestion um, for, for, uh, for those um, who, whose purview this falls under if it hasn't done, been done already, maybe survey households, survey, survey um, people who live in the city about their housing and their private homes if they're accessible. Because I know my family, for one, we would love to preserve this house for people who need that accessibility um, and would be happy to, I don't know, join a registry of private homes. Um, that the city is aware of that are accessible um, and and have it be added to the housing stock in the city that can count towards accessible um, housing at a minimum, if not affordable as well, if that's, if that's something the city thinks makes sense. So my two cents, thank you all again, um, much appreciated and um, and yeah, look forward to, um, to seeing how this all um, pans out. My fingers are crossed. Thank you, Helen and Orchid for those uh, suggestions. Thank you. Thank you. Now we are going to Sasha. Hey, Sasha. I'm, I'm first of all, thank you for the report. It was wonderful. Oh, by the way, I'm so the bit new and I'm under, and I'm getting near me. Yes, we can hear you. Yep. And hi, everyone. I'm Zada Bittner, and I'm a dog's commissioner. First of all, thank you so much for the report. And it was really informative. I'm good for my anecdotes. 
I kind of knew about some of these issues, but it's always nice to have numbers and also to have a, have a set of priorities. Um, um, you know, for the various departments do follow. And I might have said a question. Um, a few years ago, I was looking at, um, looking to move to an apartment with my then um boyfriend and um we were looking for a, we were looking for um accessible apartments on Craigslist but I'm very low income and I would have needed a second aid browser and so many of the apartments that we looked at would not accept would not accept a second aid browser. And a lot of stuff happened, so I never followed up, but um, it was really kind of considering that the housing sorted in general, it was very frustrating to like look at housing that I could afford with a browser, but then. I get it afforded. And so I'm wondering if there's anything that any department is doing about housing discrimination. You know, so I guess that's my main question. Oh, and I'm not a question, but I really like the idea have friends for modifications. I lived downstairs in my family home and we have had to get it modified because it is a very old home from like the 1920s. So I think those are my main points, but thank you so much. Okay. This is Nicole speaking. So uh, towards um, towards housing discrimination specifically, we do work and MOD does work and refer folks to our colleagues in Human Rights Commission to assist with some of those. And Sasha, I'm wondering if there's a specific question that I, I maybe missed around vouchers in particular or... or um, what, yeah, though I was looking at breakfast, 
and the time when it was a few years ago and what I would work at something that was acceptable. And then it would say, no sex in age. No. Oh, actually, is, uh, okay. Is um, Sheila or Bryn, are either of you able to comment on um, on Sasha's uh, point reads uh, section eight or anyone uh, um, advice on that? And I don't need advice at this point since you has gone away today. Right. I think others might need that advice though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know what I mean? I think I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, Rin, do you want to go ahead? Sure. Sasha, I can't speak to that question today, but I definitely can follow up over email with, with some insight and ideas. And I'm, I'm talking about it from like a public policy perspective because I'm not actually looking to move it at home. Right. But at one point, I was considering it and that's what happened. It's very well taken. Thank you, Sasha. And thanks, Bryn, for offering to follow up. Thank you, Sasha. Um, Next, we got Bob and Marta. Yeah, um, thank you, Alex. Um, I just wanted to speak generally about um, how powerful this meeting has been. Um, I can't think of a better topic for us to have brought forward than this one. It's a number one priority for the city and especially our communities. So the fact that there was so much outreach around this meeting, which I did see, and that we had such good public comment today, I would suggest we make this an annual. <laughs> when we have these meetings again, it definitely be uh, uh, the next thing would be a follow-up, right? We have this mandated. We A lot of public around this housing element. We're integrated in the housing element. It's fabulous, but uh, we need to know how the implementation is going. And um, I just want to also underline the absolute importance to the subsidize, subsidizing housing, subsidized housing subsidies. When you're on, I, I don't have to explain this to anybody here, but it just means, it, it just is so stark uh, when someone is, is just living on social security or just living on disability, they're at the federal poverty level. You know, who are we kidding? So it's not three times, it's not two times and they need housing subsidies. Um, this is true for members of my family <laughs> and uh, it, it, I don't need to, you know, drill this point to this audience at all, but I just want to say how important that is to us at the, at, at our commission. And um, I would hope that when we get these implementation reports, when we advocate, we get a report on how successful we have been to get increased money for this. Uh, it should be part of our housing effort. Um, it, it's not a, like people are saying, it's not enough to build this housing, although that's hugely important. It's people can actually <laughs> pay the rent when they go in, into it through their, their income. So I just wanna really underline that point today. And I think our um, public comments were so articulate around this, and I think it's just important. And I'd like to see uh, when we get reports on implementation that that's part of what, what we receive information about so that we can uh, continue to be advocates for it. So I uh, just want to say thank you for all the work that went into this report. 
and all of us together are hearing it. Thank you. Are there any questions or um, commissioners as questions at this time? Sorry, Alex, I think uh, Denise would like to make another comment and she should be able to unmute herself. Denise, go ahead. Thanks, Alex. Um, I was actually going to take myself off um, as far as making a comment because all the concerns have already been um, addressed. So I'll just kind of paraphrase. I'm very excited about um, these initial conversations identifying housing accessibility and access for seniors and people with disabilities. I do agree there needs to be uh, funding around subsidies for those populations so people can, as it was said earlier, age in place with dignity and respect. Um, I have some ideas around outreach and around safety, and I know for time I'm not going to get into those. And Helen already brought up very eloquently about, you know, design, you know, access issues and things of that nature. So I think these conversations and follow up as far as implementation, as that was mentioned earlier, along with all their council members, commissioner comments, I need we I think we need to follow up and continue uh, one. I can be reached anytime, um, you know, for in input. And uh, I think, you know, we have a good, lot of good finding and recommendations to go forward. As it was stated before, I don't want this to just sit on a shelf and not be implemented because we have been talking about this housing crisis, you know, for a very long time. And I know this, the, there are various issues that can't be resolved right away. But if we get started in some of the crucial areas in identifying resources and services, how people can access those resources and services beside funding and to stay in place. Then the other things as far as properties and what we can do in allocating and finding those properties. But I think right now we need to give people access to housing and we need to make it affordable. And I think when the money comes, the resources, et cetera. So those are just my two cents as well. And I thank the presenters and the committee and everyone being here and I look forward to our work in the future and now I will go back and mute. Thank you. Ne next Thank we you. have Sherry. Go ahead Sherry. Hi thank you. Um, it was going to bug me if I didn't get my question in so <laughs> I know it's um, we're running at time here but thank you for the great report all all of you, all the commissioners and departments, um, that was a lot of work that you did to get that uh, report done. Um, one burning question I have is that if the subsidies um, are approved and the money is found um, to have that put in place, will it be only for the new um, rentals and and um, housing that that will be done from moving forward from this time on because from the graphs that we saw, the um, statistics that we saw for the people who are in existing rental units right now who are paying more than half of their income, will it benefit them 
to the ones that are in pro in place right now. That that is really part of my concern. Also, I mean, if that makes sense to anybody, um, it's it's one thing to make improvements to moving forward, but what about the people that are already struggling right now? So that that was my comment. Thank you. I wonder if to respond to that, I need someone that knows a little bit more about the ins and outs of subsidies um, than, than I do. I wonder if there's anyone on steering committee that would like to take an initial uh, response. Otherwise, Sherry will definitely take that comment back. Thank you. We'll take that comment back. Thanks. Thank you, Nicole. I have a um, question for the group. Um, a couple of questions. One is that I know that a couple of months or a couple of years ago, there was a discussion that MDC addressed that with a lack of accessibility on the website. Of um, down there on affordable housing. I hope that that issue is addressed on this report. And we'll take a look on that issue. That's one question. And the second question is that with Affordable housing in Bogan, I think there's other people ask this question or voice this question already. I just want to make sure that I understand and raise a point that just about 90% disability in San Francisco and there's only 27 units for accessibility for people with disability and, and older adults in this uh, building. It's a bit concerning to me. So maybe you can, someone can not ask on how many, on how that number um, came about. And the last thing is that, question is that, um, can we get some numbers on how many um, 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 apartments or units are just designated to a particular disability or or is it case by case basis according to individual needs? Can can someone talk about that? Thank yes. You. So that's. I just want to make sure you don't add any more questions because I'll forget if I don't if I don't start first. Sorry. Okay. 
Okay. No, no, no. So, so first of all, towards the accessibility of the Dahlia website, it looks like, unfortunately, our colleague Sheila had to leave. She's had some family stuff going on today, but, um, but um, Debbie, if you could make note, we'll just, we'll check that. I do think that we have done some work on that, but we will, we can definitely follow up on that towards this towards this question about disability units and this 27 number, that's a little bit misleading. Um, and so I'm gonna have Izzy talk to that to to that response and then we'll come back to your third question. Okay. Do you wanna take that one, Izzy? I, yeah, let me take that one. And I'm really glad that you asked this, Alex, because I, I heard someone else make mention of it and it is a little bit misleading that um, this number 27 disability designated units in the pipeline. That number doesn't represent the total number of accessible units that will become available to all qualified individuals or households, including those with disabilities. The reason that we only see 27 disability designated units is because there isn't a good funding source for um, disability restricted units. That designation has to come from um, a come from federal funding. Or the city can decide that an entire building is designated to disability restricted units. What we don't have a mechanism for yet is setting aside disability units, among other affordable units. So the best, the, the way that we should look at units that are appropriate for people with disabilities is actually accessible units. Let me pause. Does that make sense? No, I don't want to get into this language thing because most I interpreted accessibility or accessible in a different, different way. So I, we have to be cautious on, on saying accessibility because some people might interpret that in a different way. So I just want to be cautious on that. Yeah, I think this is Nicole speaking again. Thanks, Izzy. And uh, your point's well taken. I mean, the, there are more than 27 accessible units in the pipeline. 27 of these units are designated disability to type specific. So that's kind of the really simple way to do that and to kind of getting to your third question about are there are there units for specific disability types <clears throat> that's kind of part of where that 27 comes from but it's again it's it's something we'll, we'll take note of that and kind of continue to look as this process iterates but it very well taken and I know that's something when we were initially trying to figure out 
how, what our accessible housing stock actually was like. That's one of the challenges that we in the steering committee really spent a lot of time talking about and how to present. And that's why one of the finding is, findings is we need to do, we need to do a more work on understanding exactly where our accessible stock is. So thanks for those comments. This is very nice and question slash certification. Is that when this quote the 27 units is only specifically on this person building, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and okay. Just want to make clear that. And it just it just it has to do with how where the funding source comes yeah. from, all these other rules. Mm. But you that's correct. Yeah. And then the the last question and comment I have is that for this go forward with this um report, it will be in, interesting to see how many units and facilities that the city has for accessibility for all the adults and for people with disability and for the people that need a supportive living needs. Right. It would be interesting to see that in the near future. Thanks for that. And I just, I want to encourage the council members and the commission. I know sometimes the Mayor's Disability Council does uh, follow-up letters to these meetings. This would, this would be a great topic if you wanted to consolidate all of your questions and ideas. I know that the, um, that our group would, would take those as part of our uh, process as we're, as we're working through all of these recommendations. So I really appreciate everybody's comments so much on behalf of everyone who's been on the steering committee. Uh, and I just want to thank Izzy in particular. We've all put a lot of work into this, but Izzy in particular, I cannot express enough how much thought and time and, and just everything that Izzy has put into this process. So thank you, Izzy, uh, on behalf of your steering committee colleagues uh, for uh, such a job well done uh, on this report. So with that, I just want to say thank you for the group. And um, I cannot, um, um, I don't know specific who's this, uh, the speaker was, but thank you and, and other people that Nicole put Talking to us, I hope this is a start of our um, conversation moving forward. We would like to know what's the next step and stages on this project. With that, I'm going to go forward with um, the next item, which information item. Correspondents, do we have any correspondents at this time? 
Okay. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Debbie Kaplan, Deputy Director for Program Access at MDC um, and uh, uh, involved in supporting the Mayor's Disability Council uh, at MOD was what I meant earlier. Um, uh, regarding correspondence that has come in, um, you may recall that last month there were literally hundreds of emails from constituents that were addressed to the MDC as well as the Board of Supervisors and the Mayor urging um, expansion of the hours that the Great Highway is close to automobile traffic and encouraging city policymakers to make the closure of Great Highway uh, more permanent. And uh, this month, um, there were another 250 emails that all followed a template uh, that you've already received on that same issue making those points and that is the only correspondence that has come in in the past month thank you for that um for that i'm going to ask has the click to open up public government at this time Um, yes, so at this time, members of the public may address the council and commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council and commission, which are not on today's meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the council and commission for up to three minutes. Uh, and then just a reminder that the Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment. If you would like a response, please provide your contact information by email message to mdc at sfgov.org with the subject MDC comment reply request, or you may call 415 Five five four six seven eight nine, and if you would like to make a comment at this time, uh, and you're joining by the Zoom webinar, um, you may make a public comment by using the raise hand feature, or typing a comment into the Q and A box. Uh, if you are joining by phone, you can make a comment by dialing star nine, um, and you'll be recognized when it's your turn to speak. So I'll give members of the public uh, a moment to raise their hands if they'd like to make a comment. All right, well, I don't see anybody from the public who would like to make a comment at this time. Thank you for that. I'm going forward to information item concerning mission members comments or announcements are there any commissioners or council members has 
comments or announcements at this time. Okay, now I'm going to wait for a couple, a couple of seconds and then go forward. Hearing on, I'm going, I just want to say thank you very much for coming to this and class and members. And I think this is a good start point with us working together. And I hope that we can um, work with this issue and other issue in the near future. Um, and I just wanna give thank you for the amount of staff and um, those um, staff and the deputies. And uh, the next meeting we have is next month, the third part of March at one o'clock. For that, um, have a good weekend, and um, I'm going without any objection. I'm going to adjourn the meeting. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Chairman Dredd. Excellent job. Well done. Thank you. Have a fantastic weekend, everyone. Thank you for being here. All right. Here. Thank you so much, everyone. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.